All right, third sermon in our talks about heaven. All right, there will be one more, and it'll be a Q&A next week. Yeah. Uh, so come with your questions. Start thinking about them ahead of time. But this will be in Hebrews 12-ish, right? We'll be, uh, we'll be moving around Hebrews, but we'll be located around 12-ish. And actually, first, we have to talk about Hebrews 11, but we don't necessarily have to go there. Um, I'm just going to talk about it. Hebrews 11 is what we call the Hall of Faith, right? Um, And it talks about all these people of the Old Testament, all these Jewish people who God gave the promise to. And it talks about how those people walked by faith. So it would say, by faith, Abraham did this, and by faith, Moses did this, and by faith, Enoch, blah, 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 right? And it talks about all these people and how it was by faith. And you see, when we start talking about heaven, we talked about first week ideas of heaven, then we talked about what it means to be citizens in heaven, and now we got to ask this question, really key question, is there really a heaven? And we have to answer that as believers. And we can't just take it for granted, but we have to say, like, is there really a heaven? And do we live as if we believe there's really a heaven? So it shows these people in Hebrews 11 by faith, by faith, blah, 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 by faith, blah, blah, blah. And it talks about Abraham quite a bit. And it says, by faith, Abraham believed in God, that he was preparing a city for them, right? So by faith, we do the same thing that Abraham did all this time ago and believe by faith that God is preparing a city for us. And these lives that we live as believers, we are actually, if we're doing it right, believers. Go figure. So we walk by faith and sometimes that goes beyond sight and because by faith we can see just a little bit ahead what is unseen to the natural eye but because by faith we believe that God is preparing for us a city it affects the way we live in the here and in the now there was this guy one time right? he was visiting we had a prayer night And he was visiting, wasn't a normal member of our church. He was visiting from another church. But when I met him, I just kind of went and introduced myself to him. And I began talking with him. And I could just tell he had an accent. All right? And he was African-American. And so it wasn't like African-American, like from America. It was like he moved here from Africa. And I could tell just by the way that he talked and his accent. And um, so I was like, hey, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Tanzania. But he didn't say it like that. He's like, I'm from Tanzania, right? <laughs> and so we got to talking and then come to find out he speaks like five, seven different languages. I don't know. And he's a really cool guy. And you can just tell by talking to him that he is not from around here. You know what I mean? 
He talks different. He acts different. He thinks different. And he was telling me a little bit of his own story. And he goes, I always went to church, right? And he, he was talking about the church. I always went to church. But it was not until I was 50 years old that I was born again, right? And I love the way that he talked. And I love the way that he talked about following Jesus. It wasn't until he was 50 years old that he was actually born again, right? Actually walking and living by faith, not just showing up at a church building, but following Jesus and being born again. And this guy just had awesome stories about like, like everything, the way he interpreted life was through God. Isn't that cool? Like, he would go places, and everything between him and the Father would be an ongoing conversation. Just like as if, as he walks through life, he is walking with God. You know what I mean? Like, he talked about, uh, like, he just, there was a dead guy. Like, this was in Africa, I believe. There was a dead guy. And he, like, went to the dead guy, and he's like, oh, God, you raised people from the dead. And so he prayed for this guy to be raised from the dead. And now Jesus raised people from the dead. He himself was raised from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead, right? So if Jesus can do it, it can happen, right? And we have to live this life believing that people can be raised from the dead. Otherwise, this life is all there is. So he, in Africa, saw a dead man. He prayed that the dead man would be raised. And some of us, we like don't even pray prayers like that because we're like, oh, well, like Jesus did stuff like that, but not me, right? But Jesus actually said as he was leaving, greater works will you do in my name. Crazy, right? So anyway, he ended up seeing this guy raised from the dead. No joke. At least from what he told me. And he talked about just, like, just the funny stories about, like, little birds on the side when he's, like, going for his runs in the morning. And he, like, prays for the bird, you know? And the bird, like, has a broken wing, and the bird flies away. And, and just lots of little things like that. He's, like, going for a run again. He was, like, he's, like, this is when I spend my time with the Lord, you know? And he was so cool. And... And it was just refreshing to talk to this guy. And he, like, saw a couple of really vicious dogs as he was, like, running, doing his morning run. And he just prayed to the Lord that the, that the dogs wouldn't come and hurt him. And they, like, didn't come close. You know, it's like faith in action. And as I talked to this guy from Tanzania, I just remember his faith being very evident and not only did it seem like he was visiting from another place, but just, not just like visiting from Tanzania, but he was visiting from another place of faith, you know? Like he traveled far down that path of faith. And how many times when we tell people about heaven are we unconvincing because of our lack of faith? We don't believe what we're selling. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's perfect. We're ashamed to talk about it. We're embarrassed for, or whatever it is. And the question is, do we really believe 
by faith, like Abraham did, that there's a heaven. Abraham looked forward and by faith walked in the fact that God's preparing a city for us. Right? And do we follow in those footsteps? See, back in the Old Testament, there were two, two mountains. All right? Two mountains. And we find out about them here in Hebrews 12. We will uh, we'll start in verse 18. You see, this message is called a kingdom... I'm sorry, an unshakable kingdom, right? It says this in verse 18, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and a gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned and indeed so terrifying was the sight that Moses said I tremble with fear so this is telling about something past right we're talking about Moses and this is the New Testament you're like I thought Moses died in Deuteronomy he did but we're telling a story about the past here in Hebrews and it's talking about the time that Moses came up to what we uh, we most commonly call Mount Sinai. It's also called Mount Horeb. And it's the place, the mountain in Egypt, right there, kind of like on that little like peninsula thing that juts into like the Nile. Um, they're at Mount Sinai and they're gathered around and God's about to descend on the mountain and like you could just imagine this frightening sight like storm clouds raging and like a cloud just descending on the mountain and a voice issuing from heaven. Heaven is talking, right? And it wasn't very, it was frightening. It was terrifying. And it's saying this, hey, don't even come near this mountain. If you come near, if you touch this mountain, you die. If an animal touches this mountain, it dies. Okay, Moses, come on up the mountain. Moses is sitting there like, I don't know about this, okay? Right? Yet God calls Moses up the mountain to give to him the holy law. Right? What does righteousness look like? Well, let me give you 613 commandments, right? We know about the 10 most common. They were written on tablets of stone. Moses came down. That's a whole other story. Anyway, terrifying sight. Voice from heaven says, don't even come near this mountain. You'll die because I'm that holy. And you're like, you know, everybody's like hair stands up on the back of their neck. And like, don't let them go near there, right? If a beast even comes up to this mountain, death Moses come on Moses is shaking in his boots they didn't have boots he was shaking in his sandals right <laughs> and God says okay Moses come up the mountain I want to meet with you and I want to give you the holy law Moses the guy who'd seen the miracles of God the guy who'd witnessed 
the ten plagues. The guy who saw the sky turn black and the locusts and the frogs and the Nile turn into blood, right? This guy, he's afraid. He's the one who saw that when the firstborn was going to be killed throughout Egypt, that just by covering the doorpost with blood, the blood of a lamb, the angel of death would pass over. This is Moses who saw all of this, and he sees this holy mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and he is terrified. Moses goes up to the mountain. But we hear, right here in Hebrews 12, we hear the story of two mountains. One is Mount Sinai. It is terrifying. It is frightening. And if we understand God, enough, if we understand him enough, he is terrifying. He is frightening, he is big, he is huge. The sky rips open when he talks. The sound of trumpets and all this going on. And you're like, jeez, right? If somebody even touches the mountain, they die. That's the story of the first mountain. It's frightening. Moses was afraid. But there, Sinai or Horeb. Um, but check this out. After it says that Moses is like, I'm trembling with fear. (laughs) That's literally what he said. And Moses said, I tremble with fear. (laughs) Uh, Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Second mountain. Right? And to the city of the living God. Right? For ages, people have thought of heaven as a city of God. Which is how it's described in the Bible. And in fact, St. Augustine, probably his second most famous work from ages ago, is it's, it's ancient writing and it's called The City of God. Right? And it describes this heavenly place. And if we're to live life appropriately as believers, we are to live life in light of the reality of heaven. So a second mountain pops up. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the name of the new city. The heavenly Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem. And it speaks in Revelation of how this new Jerusalem is going to descend out of the sky, which is where we think of heaven right now, like up there. Um, God's dwelling place where God is now. The new Jerusalem is going to come from heaven, touch down on the earth, right? So, in other words, heaven comes to earth. The new Jerusalem lands on the face of the earth. And to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. You're like, what's a festal gathering? It means a celebratory gathering, right? They're happy and they're excited. So... New Jerusalem is what is imaged here. And we're talking about Mount Zion here. And angels in their festal gatherings. So I don't know exactly what that looks like, but you could just imagine a bunch of really terrifying angels having a 
celebration party thing and you're like, wow. You're like, do I join in or do I run away, right? Because every time people see angels in the Bible, they're terrified. And they're like, oh my gosh. And the angel's like, hey, don't run anywhere. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Because they shine with the glory of God. You know what I mean? And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, right? That's the terrifying part about God, the judge of all, right? And you're like, how could I approach the judge? How can I approach his throne? It's too terrifying. However, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So usually when we first approach God, we approach him in the Mount Sinai kind of way. He is terrifying. Right? Festal gathering of angels going around shining all brightly. They're like, oh my gosh. Right? Cloud descending on Mount Sinai. He's going to meet with Moses. If you even touch the mountain, you're dead. Ah. And as we grow and as we walk by faith, sometimes more of what we begin to see is the Mount Zion of God and less of the Mount Sinai. Because the Mount Sinai reveals something of the Father, not everything about the Father. It reveals that he is the judge. He is holy and terrifying. He's given us this holy law and I can't even keep it. Oh my gosh. Right? He reveals this, and it's terrifying. I can't even approach the throne. He's the judge. But as we walk by faith, we start to view him in a Mount Zion kind of way because we know him more. Like David, who is a man after God's own heart, if we chase after God's heart, and if it takes some courage it takes some boldness, takes some bravery. If we enter into the throne room and we're like, this is absolutely terrifying, we find that the one who is terrifying, making Moses tremble, and the one who is descending on Mount Sinai like a cloud, that if you even touch the mountain, you die. That one who can make you die just by looking at you. That guy loves me? What? That guy, like, cares for me? What? He, like, knows the number of hairs on my head? He wants me to prosper? Like, he's angry at my sin. And it offends him to the point that he would kill but we can approach him because of being covered by the blood of Jesus. This is nuts. Right? And to Jesus, it says, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Blood of Abel. Abel offered an awesome sacrifice. Cain offered a stupid one. Cain killed Abel, right? <laughs> God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. He's more pleased with the sprinkled blood of Jesus than Abel's sacrifice. 
Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Heaven is speaking. Like, hey, you can't come to God unholy because he's so holy. You can't approach God unclean because he is so clean. If you touch his holy mountain and you're unclean, you'll die. And you're like, well, maybe I should listen up then, right? At that time, his voice shook the earth. This is power, right? Earthquake over the face of the entire earth because God spoke. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This promise yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. Imagine this. He speaks and the earth trembles. And things like a giant earthquake are shaken. Stuff shakes when the earth shakes, right? You ever been in a big earthquake and everything's like moving around? I remember one time I was at my grandma's house and I was sleeping there. And she has a big pool in the back and there's a huge earthquake. And the pool is going like this. The water in the pool is going like... Nuts. And you're just like disoriented. You're like, what do I do? Where do I go? Do I like stand under a door jam? That's not going to work. Oh my gosh. I'll basically die if anything falls on me, right? This is the terror of God. The whole earth shakes. When he speaks. But there's hope. You're like, I don't think I could withstand the shaking. Verse 27, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. God shakes the earth so that the shakable things get destroyed and the unshakable things remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Whoa. We are part of a kingdom that is unshakable. We are part of a kingdom that is eternal. So that when God speaks and the shakable things fall away, this kingdom stands. Is that crazy? If we're focused on the circumstances of life and looking at it without faith and with earthly eyes, we see the circumstances and say like, oh my gosh, these things are going to win. These forces, these terrors, these whatever it is. Yet God just with his word speaks and the earth trembles and those things go away. And the unshakable kingdom remains. And the shakable things pass. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. You're like, okay, maybe that's a good idea in light of everything. Maybe we should, 
Maybe we should fall on our knees before this guy who shakes in the earth, who speaks in the earth shakes. With reverence and awe. And you see how big God is? All you have is reverence and awe. You're just sitting there like, oh my gosh. Right? And last but not least, for our God is a consuming fire. Think about consuming fire coming over the earth. Right? Would you hope that you were fireproof? Jesus can make you fireproof. I was you'd say that. You see, in life, we experience like the ability to choose a direction. Right? There is toward heaven. There is toward the mountain, which is scary and wonderful all at the same time. Which is terrifying and beautiful which cleanses away unrighteousness but also affirms righteousness and we can choose to go toward that toward God toward heaven or run away from it and if you want to go toward it You have to do something like die. But let me assure you, and now think about baptism. Baptism is like a symbol of this death and burial and resurrection as we identify and publicly declare that we identify with Jesus who has died, buried, and raised. If we are to go toward God, toward heaven, toward these things, we're going to have to die. You're like, that doesn't sound any fun, right? Hang on. Part of you dies. The part of you that is not eternal. The part of you that is shakable. The part of you that is not fireproof. Because God's a consuming fire. And if you come toward his holiness... The only way you can come is clean and perfect. And he will cleanse away all unrighteousness. Like a consuming fire. Like if you're lit on fire. Imagine like, imagine like we're sitting here because we look at this and we're like, we have to die? No, that's not, I didn't sign up for that. You're like, oh no, I'm going to die. Right? Think, think about a house. It maybe like falls under a consuming fire, right? Have you ever seen a house burn? Yeah, it it's kind of scary, right? And these flames are like so beyond your control. You're like, I I can't do anything about this. I'm glad you have a big hose, right? Like, what happens is the house gets consumed, but you know what happens as there's like rubble there. If you come to the rubble of the house. A lot of times what you'll find are that the house is burned away, but there are certain things which could not be burnt that remain. Think about like a fireproof safe, 
right? They sell them because they're fireproof. You want to you wanna save anything inside from a fire, right? So the house catches on fire, consumed. It's gone in a couple hours. And you come back to the rubble, and what remains is the fireproof safe. And what he's saying is like, Jesus is like your fireproof safe. Are you a little bit scared of this consuming fire? Do you have any kind of reverence and awe for the voice that rips open heaven? Hopefully. Is that rhetorical? Yeah. <laughs> You're good. I think we're working on it. Not there yet. But imagine a consuming fire that consumes a house and only this fireproof safe remains. And he's saying, Jesus' blood is your fireproof safe. And when you're covered in his blood, God comes like a giant earthquake that shakes the entire earth and all the shakable things go away. Or like a consuming fire that everything that can be burnt is burnt and gone, consumed, because it's a consuming fire. If you are covered by the blood of Jesus, it's like you're in a fireproof safe. That the angel of death, just like in the Passover, passes over you and consumes these lives. And yet you stand because you're in the fireproof safe. Is that nuts or what? God's a consuming fire. Eternal things won't burn. Our response is reverence and awe. In fact, this is all like ideas about what are going on. And then chapter 13 demands a response. Chapter 13. And think about it. Like back when, when this was written, there weren't like chapters and there weren't verses in the Bible. So this is just all one long thing. So we have like inserted chapters and verses and sometimes like we've done it, like people have done it to the best of their abilities and like scholarly researched and like talked about where do we put this break, you know, and all that stuff. But sometimes like a chapter ends and you think, oh, that's the end of that story. But sometimes the thought keeps going. So it says this in chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. You're like, you were just talking about God being a consuming fire, the earth like shaking, non-eternal things being destroyed. What? And, and then the author of Hebrews is like, hey, don't forget to love each other. Right? Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And you're like, yeah, because that's exactly what I was thinking when I was being terrified over God. Be hospitable to strangers. I'm like, head for the hills. Right? But what he's saying is, you don't have to head for the hills. You don't have to be terrified of Mount Sinai. You know that you're accepted at Mount Zion. You can walk toward the mountain. You don't have to fear the consuming fire the way you once did. Because if you are covered by the blood, you won't be destroyed by the consuming fire. 
So yeah, he's like, hey, remember, brotherly love, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. I like how the ESV says it, unawares. <laughs> You've entertained angels unawares. Anybody ever done that before? I don't know. You, well, you wouldn't know if you did it, because you'd be unawares. <laughs> that was a dumb question. But we may have entertained angels unawares. So what's, what's the author of Hebrews encouraging us to do? He's like, in light of the fact that God is really scary... And there's this mountain that made Moses tremble. And God's a consuming fire and he's going to shake the earth. And the shakable things will go away. And the unshakable will remain. We're reminded we're part of a kingdom that's unshakable. And because we will not be shaken, we are to have an unshakable love. Love is eternal. Do you remember when Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, right? Why is love the greatest? <laughs> well, what? I just have an idea in my head. Because love, is greater than power, and love is forever. I can't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I totally you were Faith and hope pass away, but love remains. Faith and hope, we don't need faith and hope anymore once we've received the object of our faith and hope, God, right? We don't need faith and hope anymore, but love is still going to be there. Love remains. Love is eternal. Love is unshakable. Yeah, God is love. So if we're in his presence, like he's, yeah, yeah, that's good. Perfect. He's love. We're going to enjoy love with him forever and ever. So what we are called to in, in light of heaven, in light of the fact that you walk by faith into the eternal city, you have hope in the heavenly things. We're, to, we're called to an unshakable love. Don't forget that brotherly love which is different than agape, but it's still love. And don't forget to be hospitable to strangers because you might be entertaining angels unawares, right? What is this? He's calling us to a greater holiness in our love. A more cleansed love. A love with the darkness removed because God's a consuming fire. And that consuming fire removes darkness. He's saying, listen, I want you to love with a greater holiness. What does that look like? 
Well, probably no more bickering and backbiting. Right? Probably it looks like laying down those things because those aren't the unshakable love. Those things are shakable. And they fall away in the presence of consuming fire. How about this? A deep, bold, affectionate concern for one another. Like, hey, I care about you. And I have affection for you. Like, Paul's like, hey, to the Philippians, I don't want you to forget my deep affections for you. And we get all uncomfortable with that because, like, we're, like, we're like afraid of affections. And we're like, no, affections could be, like, bad. What if, what if, it's, what if it's bad affections? You know, well, yeah, there could, can, can there be bad affections? Yes. Can affection be led astray? Yes. But he's calling to us, calling us to a greater holiness in our love. A deeper perfectness in our love. A love that is characterized by light and not by darkness. So there's no reason to be uncomfortable with words like affection. In fact, he'll go on to say, hey, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now I'm not saying go do that. Because that was like a thing in their day. And that's not a thing in our day, right? Yeah. And he's saying, listen. Deep, bold, affectionate concern. Have that for one another. Because you've seen the consuming fire. Because your eyes by faith are set on heaven. That affects the here and now. You live different now. Because you've seen what is unshakable. And you realize God wants to take away from you like a consuming fire. The shakable things. And purify your love. So all that's to say at this point. (laughs) If you believe in heaven, you will love like there's no tomorrow. Amen? You can say amen. Amen. I love you guys. Deeply and boldly and affectionately and concernedly. But I might be a little unawares. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you that you're a consuming fire, that you're a righteous judge, that all shakable things will be put to an end and will be consumed in your fire. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that it covers us and that you're no longer upset with us but you still want to present us holy and perfect and acceptable to yourself. So God, give us the faith to walk by and to believe that there is a heaven and let us love really well 
Let us love better than we currently love. Purify our love. Give it a deeper holiness. More reverence and concern and awe in our love. Cleanse our love with the consuming fire. In Jesus' name, amen.